Please be seated. Our ushers are going to come down with pencils if you need one to take notes. And if you're watching online, well, I welcome you to Maple Valley Church. Marvel at our first parents living in paradise. Happily married, naked, and unashamed, tending Eden's garden, eating delicious fruit, enjoying friendship with God. The best life. This is literally the definition of the good old days. <laughs> now last week, we, we zoomed in last week through the cosmos creation in chapter 1. What, what John Calvin called the dazzling theater of God's glory. Psalm 91. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now we've, we've zoomed in on the garden planted in the east, in Eden, where the creator first put man and woman. And here we gain more insight. We can grasp more of, of God, more of, of love, and more of life. Life the way it's meant to be. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. If you have your Bible, it says here that the, the timing of the first man before, came before uh, there was ever any rain on the earth. So we're talking a long time before the evergreen state. There's, there's no rain. There are rivers. There's no rain. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Remember in chapter 1, how did God create? God spoke. God spoke creation into existence, but he handcrafted human beings. He formed them. We all descend from, from Adam. We're all custom built, carefully designed. Well, high honor. But, but what are we made of? What's the material that God used? Dust. Dirt. That's pretty humbling, isn't it? Even, even the name of Adam, it calls back to, to earth. It, we're, we're from the dirt. And so there's this great high honor, and yet there's also this, this sense of humility of where we come from. Yet, yet Adam is, and, and Eve, will be the final handcrafted creatures. And it says here that Adam is filled with the very breath, the very ruach, of, of God, the Spirit of God breathed into his nostrils, and that he's made, it says, in the image of God, in, in the likeness of God. What, what an honor stamped with the likeness of the living God. So, so that means that the God made you with life because he is life. He made you with love because, what does the, the Apostle John tell us, that God is Love. He, he made you with intelligence and individual personality because he is intelligence and he is personal. God made you and, and every human being with dignity, value, and purpose. He knows you. He formed you even at conception. Psalm 139 says, uh, even in your mother's womb, God formed you and knew you and saw you there. Now, God is spirit. The, the, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, is not a human being yet. And so God's revelation here in Genesis of, of handcrafting, and we use that, that sense of, of handcrafting. Things aren't really 
handcrafted very much anymore, are they? That, that's just a, a powerful image here. In, in chapter 2, chapter 3, we, we talked about the, the Lord walking with Adam in the garden in the, in the cool of the day. These are, are written in a way that we can understand. We can try to wrap our brains around and, and, and be in awe of the goodness and the character of God in his sanctuary. That's where our attention should run to. Awe, the goodness of God, the dignity and value and purpose of man and woman as being the image bearers of God. That's what Moses was communicating. That's what we're to take from this. So, so alongside this poetic imagery, we have something grounded here. There's something rooted. There's a geographic points of orientation. The, the river of, of Eden that separates, it says, into four headwaters, thought today to be in southern Iraq. Look at verse 8. So it says, God planted a garden, paradise, and it says he put the man in the garden to do what? It says to work it and to take care of it. Verse 15. So, so Adam, the first man, has a vocation. Uh, that means a job. He's, he's got a job. Uh, no furlough. That's too soon. That's, sorry, skip that. Scratch that one. No, he has a job. He has a calling. He's put where? Into God's sanctuary. What, what's a sanctuary? A sanctuary is a place where, where God dwells, where God comes to meet with his people. And here, there, there's no distance between the, the living God and the living creature, Adam. Even in the first pages of Scripture, we, we grasp more about God, God desiring, wanting, and so whatever God wants will be, decreeing fellowship with humankind, with humans. And we learn something about our very nature, the very basic code of who we are. We are designed to worship. I've often said fish were designed to swim, dogs were designed to chase a bone. We were designed to worship. The question is, what is it that we're going to worship? That's always the question before us. And so remember also, I said last week, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, they're, they're a set. They, they, are, they, they come together. So if we were to fast forward into the next book of the Bible, which is called Exodus, there we see uh, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, uh, which is a, a mobile sanctuary. This is after the Lord God has rescued the ch children of Israel purely by grace, has given them the law, purely by, by love to show them how to live. And they're out there in the desert, uh, in the wilderness. And the Lord God explains to Moses exactly what this mobile sanctuary called the Tent of Meeting or Tabernacle is to look like. And it's described in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers, how Moses is to construct it while the people are wandering. Why? Because God wants to meet with his people. So they're to pitch a tent a mobile sanctuary. And every element in that mobile sanctuary harkens back to paradise. Every symbol was, was rich with meaning and, and imagery that would remind one of what once was. We're entering into the very presence of God, the God's desire to have fellowship with his creation. Look again at verse 15. If you're Using your own Bible, which is great if you bring your own 
uh, a Bible that's hard to do on a tablet, but <laughs> underline where it says, work it and take care of it. God put Adam uh, in that garden, and it says to work it and to take care of it. These same two verbs describe the, police, the, the priestly order of the Levites, the service of the Levites, the priests in the tabernacle in Numbers chapter 3. So Adam's role, we think of, of tending a garden, that's his vocation, but, but there's, there's more here. He's, he's like a gardener. He's like a, a king in the sense of, of ha- having dominion over creation, but he's also like a priest. Work it and tend it. And so those very priests that are serving in God's mobile sanctuary would be reminded that vocation continues on, continues on. Working and tending, caring, making space for people to come in, to come and meet God. And what's in this beautiful garden? Delicious fruit, a beautiful garden, no rain, good work, like a good job. There there are streams, no fishing, lots of sun. And in the middle of the garden, look at verse 9. There are two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? And the Lord God said, Adam, work it and take care of it. Enjoy it. You are free to eat of all the trees. Look at verse 17. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. Adam, you have license. Enjoy. And here's the one rule that I give you. Commanded to, to work it, commanded to care for it, but it's going to be this wonderful, mutual, loving thing. But there's one prohibition. Again, we get, we get more about God, more, more about God's love, more about life here than, than, than a, a, a ton of books on living the good life now or, or pleasing ourselves. It's right here in Genesis chapter 2. According to the Bible, man was made mortal. So long as he enjoyed the fruit of life, he'd live a long, long, long time, longer than 92 years. And, and, and the tree is conveniently located Right in the middle of the garden. God knows us so well, doesn't he? He knows we like convenience, right? Farm to table. Just, just reach out and, and just grab it. It's about as far as Adam wants to reach. Okay. Perfectly clean. No pesticides. No bugs. or the kind, good, good kind of bugs. He can eat those bugs. When Adam and Eve were kicked out, one of the reasons that we'll look at next week when we look at, at Genesis chapter 3, one of the reasons they were kicked out of garden was so that they could no longer have access to the fruit of the tree of life. Why? Because it says, otherwise they, they'd live forever. By the way, where do we see this tree again? In the book of Revelation. Chapter 22. And there we see a, a city garden, the, the, the new Jerusalem, and we see a river, and the tree of, of life is, is planted there. And if you're taking notes, if you want to quickly turn to it, I'll just read to you Genesis chapter 22, 
verses 1 to 3, the, the, the book ends of God's canon. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. We'll fulfill our calling. The Bible says one day we will see God and we will worship him there. The, the Bible tells us all we need to know about the spiritual life and, and the gifts that come to us by simply putting our, our faith and trust in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13 ends this way. It talks about the, the greatest gifts that God gives us, the spiritual uh, gifts of, of faith, hope, and love. And do you know how Paul ends that beautiful passage that we often will hear at a wedding, but really he's speaking about the church and wedding, church, bride, groom of Christ, it all comes together, doesn't it? But, but what's he say there at the end? He says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And then what does he say? But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because it's just, it's love. It's lovely? No. Because on that day, when Christ comes again and he gathers all the nations and he, judgment is passed and we are finally in that new city and the new creation has finally been restored faith hope and love well we need faith but faith will be seen you won't need faith anymore he's right there like he's right there no need for faith anymore what about hope no no need a hope hope is something that's that's coming hope is something 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 that's coming it's already here so faith, pff, hope, and what will remain? Love. Love will remain. Okay, bring it back. Pastor Pete, bring it back to today and now, okay? Let's get practical for today and now. Today and now, is this not a picture of our daily walk with Jesus? Is this not a, a picture of your spiritual life here in the text? Right in front of you every day, conveniently located, are choices. To take God at his word, to eat, and then even to produce good fruit, fruit that will, well, that will last and bring, bring life into eternity, that we're made with dignity and value and purpose, and God's given us this freedom to choose life or to choose what? In front of us every day. To choose from the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And what does that represent? What, what, am I, what, what am I thinking of here? It represents autonomy from God. Life 
apart from God. That, that is death. You have a choice, people, every day, conveniently located, life and death hang in the balance. See, the Bible says wisdom is found in pursuing God. Wisdom is found in the word of God. Folly or, or, or foolishness is what? According to the Bible, it's, it's pursuing knowledge apart from God. In the Bible, wisdom is thinking the thoughts of God. Foolishness is being an independent person. It's thinking that is divorced from God. The Bible says that God made an eternal decree of all that will come to pass. It's kind of a form from our, our theology, our biblical reform theology. That's a flowery way of saying that, that God controls everything in his creation. And yet at the same time, the scripture also makes clear you are accountable for the decisions and the choices that you make. You say, well, how, how can I be accountable for what? Because you're making just the natural choices. And without the, the work of Christ in our life, the natural choice is autonomy from God to run the other way. Naturally, we want to be independent. And so a child says, what does a child say? What's, I can do it myself. Oh, sure, okay, run across the street. I can do it myself. And the teen says, it's my life. And the young person says, I want to try everything just once. I'll live a little. And the adult says, I'm entitled to my opinions, my wages, my way. I've worked long and hard I deserve it. What does an older adult say? It's time to party, right? Is that? <laughs> Come on. I know you party animals out there. <laughs> naughty, naughty. I see it, Pam Lot. I see you. What choices do we make, older adults? The best days were yesterday. Maybe we don't say that, but that's implied. And if, if we hold to something that's, that's more than that, we've turned the TV on and, gosh, it looks like everyone's 18 years old. <laughs> and so what's the message we're saying? every? Well, the best is behind us of yesteryear. <laughs> Not missing the point. No, the, the best is yet to come. Because the Lord God says, this is good, and this is bad. Trust me, I know. Ah. So in the middle of your life, you're face to face with everyday choices. Adam had to walk every day before these two trees. And he had to choose to obey, to trust, and then to live. We don't, we don't know how long, how much time passed. Look at verse 18. How much time had passed? Who, who knows, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Everything in creation was declared good, but it's not until Eve joins Adam that God says creation is very good. For God created man and woman, complementary natures of masculinity and femininity, the genders of male and female to bear 
the full image of God, to be fruitful and increase in number, Genesis 1, 28, to fill the earth and subdue it. In our sexually revolutionized, fluid, Western 21st century, our, our culture is getting more and more confused and, and disordered the beauty of the balance of creation. A beauty that cannot be erased or redefined. God created humankind in his own image. The image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Chapter 1, verse 27. And why wasn't it good for, God, for man to be alone? Why, why does God say it's not good for man to be alone? He's, he's hanging out, chillaxing, help, help himself to some fruit. He's got animal friends. There had to be a, a Labrador somewhere in there, right? <laughs> Why was it not good? There's, there's no, tending a garden, that's not my idea of a good time, but maybe, you know, but maybe no weeds, no mildew to spray off the deck. Got by a power washer. Thank you for, for that, Pacific Northwest. So it's all this green stuff that's growing everywhere. But God designed Adam to be in relationship according to scripture, to be, to be in friendship. Now, now, it must be said as we continue on naturally, singleness in life can also be 100% full, very much the fullest and most rewarding ways of life. Jesus himself was, was single, and he lived the most full, the most fully formed life ever. And so hear that as, as we continue in the text. But, but by design, the, the point is here in Genesis 2 that we were made for relationship. We were made for, for friendship. We were made to be with one another. And God knows that, that Adam needs someone before Adam knows. And how does the scripture define that, that someone? It uses the word helper. And that's, that's not a bad word, ladies. Even, even the Lord God himself is described in scripture as our helper, Psalm 33, verse 20, and Psalm 70, verse 5. Eve had, of course, the same nature as Adam, created to complement one another. Each of them made up what was lacking in the other. I, I don't think the text, uh, in my mind, means to, means to say that Adam needed convincing that he needed a companion, but, but it does say that God had him name all the animals, doesn't it, right? And so Adam is, is practicing his role of, of ruling. He's practicing this, this role, this honor that God's given him from, from aardvark to, to zebra. And, and I think maybe he started to pick up what was going on here. He wasn't finding that soulmate. Use your imagination. Think of the loneliness that for the first moment, he must have felt. And so Adam has the opportunity to see that even in fellowship with God, he's not complete. He's alone. He needs someone to love, someone to help, and someone to be a helper to him and to fulfill imaging God in the world. And so the scripture continues that Lord God caused the man to fall into a uh, deep sleep. I imagine this would pinch a little. The text offers this, it's this beautiful imagery of God 
taking Adam's rib to form Eve. She's made uh, from Adam's side so they would share life together side by side. And so we'd see here that, that love is two halves of a whole. Woman, therefore, was created as a, a complement to man and vice versa. Adam wakes up and he, and what's the first thing he does? What's his first reaction? All of a sudden he becomes like Shakespeare or something. He, he has a love poem. Eve, the Hebrew word there means, means life or living or life bearer. He says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And here we have the Lord God's institution of the covenant of marriage. One man and one woman united together, leaving family to form a new family where the bond within marriage joined together as one, the beautiful gift of God's intimacy. The beautiful gift of uh, intimacy. And notice the profound innocence that last verse that, that we read, both naked and unashamed. I, I'm not advocating nakedness. <laughs> but, but see how they're, they're not trying to cover up, right? They're not trying to cover up being male and female. They're not trying to cover. The, they're, they're in fellowship. That's the glory of God in us. We have in chapter 2 God's love for creation, for you, for me, Every baby created with dignity, value, and purpose. Everyone wanted. We have your life in harmony and unity, joy and equality and freedom before sin and death ruined it. Just, just ruined the party. It's enough to make you nostalgic, isn't it? This image of what life once was. It's enough to make you nostalgic and that's the point of what one once was, what has been, but, but what was lost. And, and the choice that we have to choose the new life in the second Adam, in, in Christ, this is the gospel in the beginning. That feeling of nostalgia of, of what once was is the point of the passage the very good that was, the promise of what will be that we'll look at next week, and the rescue plan that is God's Son. So my friends, the choice is before you today. These are, there are lots of choices in front of you every day, but it boils down to two options, and life and death hang in the balance. More God or less. Less of God's way, you're, you're left to what the Bible calls Folly. It means a lack of good sense. And you lack so much good sense that it just turns into nonsense. More true love or less. And less to the point that love is only lust, it's only physiology, it's body parts degrading humans, objectification and self-gratification. More life as it's meant to be fully lived out in God's theater of glory, fulfilling your God-given calling and purpose, or less, less of the good life till it's a show of the real thing. God has made this world and he has put you in this world, in this place, for a reason. The calling, the vocation 
of every Christian is to live as a follower of Jesus in every aspect of life. Uh, surely we praise, praise God uh, at church, right? But we're to praise God everywhere. We're to praise him at work. We're to praise him at the gym, at the coffee shop, uh, at school, to live out our faith. Friends, we will never be used by God to change the world by just going to church on Sunday. We need to be the church right now out there where God has planted you. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Jesus is the second Adam. It says that Jesus is the perfect king and priest, perfectly fulfilling his calling, living on every word of God, tempted in every way but never sinning. All the things come together in Jesus, who is the second Adam, who produces a new line of human being. We're now his, his adopted brothers and sisters. And the Bible says he's coming again for his bride, the church. So which will you choose today? Which will you choose? Let's pray. Lord, we choose life. We choose you. We choose not the things of this world, but the pleasures of this world, Lord, those fade away that we may see you and store up our treasures in heaven. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen.